This is Gilbert Andrew Garcia. Listen to my radio show, A Tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer every Monday from 11 a.m. till noon on Houston's Gospel Leader, KWWJ. 1360 AM and streaming live on KWWJ.org. Listen on the legendary KYOK 1140 AM and streaming live on KYOKradio.org and KCOH 1230 AM, The Source. Call in at 832-570-8075 and follow me on social media. See you then. Thank you so much, Los Angeles. All right, producer, let's let this play just a little bit. This is Neil Diamond. And this is really my July 4th show because I was at Disney and couldn't make July 4th. And it's a song called America. And he's talking about his grandmother who immigrated from Russia via uh, the Netherlands. She then boarded the ship. So let's go through this. I think it's a beautiful thing. And then we'll go through the whole song at the end. America. That little girl was my grandmother. She and her daughter Rose inspired me to achieve everything that I've achieved in my life. Her courage will never be forgotten. It sings in every song I sing. This one is for her. So the song goes far, we've been traveling far without a home, but not without a star. Free, only want to be free, we huddle close, hang on to a dream. That of course is the European experience. For those of us that are Latinos, we were already here. So there was no, there was no traveling far, my studio audience likes that, there was no traveling far, we were here. And for my African-American brothers and sisters, well, they didn't choose to come, they were brought here. And so sometimes the song doesn't get it completely right. And I guess that goes back to this whole crazy thing. I don't even know what it means, critical race theory. All I know is this, we should just say what happened and what happened is true. And that's what our kids should be learning in school. So coming back, this is Gilbert Garcia, talk, inspiration, and prayer. You have me every Monday from 11 to 12. You can go ahead and fade that out, Mr. Producer. And we are always on Keep Walking with Jesus, KWWJ, KYOK. And now we just started KCOH, The Source. So I want to properly welcome my good friends at KCOH and all the listeners. I hope you like this show. This show is your show. What does that mean? That means call in. If something's bothering you, call in. More importantly, I want to talk about good things. If there's something good going on in the community, you want to talk about your scout troop, your church, what's going on, you just call in. Elected officials that you want to say something about why you're running, call in. That's it. Call in. Now, I happen to have a rising star. I really mean, did you know you're a rising star? You are a rising star. So this is Mr. Christian Minifree. Everybody give him a round of applause in my studio audience because I really mean it. This is an extraordinary young man. And when you're around, and I say young man because, you know, my oldest son is about your age. Oh, Can you believe? I know I look really young. Give me give me some of that. I look yeah. young, right? I thought you I had, thought you had about five, six years on There me, you so. go. There, I, well, you know what? I like him already. Uh, no, but for real, I want to go through your background, but you are the county attorney. Is that right? That's right. How does it feel waking up in the morning to say, you know what? I'm the county attorney. I mean, really, what is, I mean, you never, did you dream you were going to be here four or five years ago? Oh, no, definitely not. You know, I, I just got my start in politics around in 2015, but in 2016, I remember the night when the former president won the election, and I said to myself, I need to be doing more, right? Uh, so, no, I, I had always wanted to be a lawyer, and that very much was the path that I saw myself taking forever. Uh, I had no clue that I was going to be in politics, but I'll say, when I wake up in the morning, I would love to think, oh, I'm the county attorney, but the first thought to my head is, oh, I, I'm Gabriel 
single's father. I have a 10 month old oh, at home. You have a 10 month old? At home. Oh, yeah. my so that's God. That's my number one thought every morning. How beautiful. How, isn't that incredible to see that baby in your hands? And 10 month old is when they're still fragile and, you know, they're, they're barely like opening their eyes. They're starting to be alert, right? Yeah, no, that's right. And he's our first one, too. So oh, my I, goodness. It's beautiful because all the, the burdens and stresses that come with the office, it puts everything in perspective. I come home, you know, he'll look at me and then look away and say, oh, wait, I just saw my dad. Look back and smile. This is a beautiful thing that he races the entire day. Amen. Well, I'm happy to hear that. But let's go back. So when people say the county attorney, what is the county attorney? What 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 really is that for all of our listeners? And for me, too, I'd like to think I'm an educated man and this and that. But sometimes I don't really know the magnitude of these offices other than I know they're important. Yeah. Well, I, the easiest way for me to explain it and how I did when I was running for office, Gilbert, is it's not the district attorney, right? So we have a district attorney in Harris County that handles all criminal prosecutions. Uh, if you get charged with a misdemeanor or a felony, that's going to the district attorney. The county attorney in Harris County is really the, the lawyer, the civil lawyer for Harris County, all of its elected officials and all of its employees. And I think we serve really three important functions. I'm sure a lot of the listeners right now work at a company, right? Uh, your company has a legal department where you can't get anything done unless you clear it with the Right. Department. So that's one important role we serve. We're the legal department. The second is what I like to call the shield function. So if, if a lawsuit is filed against Harris County, a lawsuit is filed against any of the elected officials or employees or department heads, our office represents them in that lawsuit. And the third is the sword function. There are certain times in the law where we're allowed to file a lawsuit on behalf of the county to really protect rights. And so we've sued the governor, we've sued the attorney general, we sue companies for violations of environmental law. Uh, when the state tries to restrict people's access to vote, we all those lawsuits. Uh, so I, you know, legal department, sword and shield are really the three important functions that we have. And I like to say we're the most important office that you never heard of. Well, let's go back for a second. So the district attorney, does that district attorney under the county? The district attorney's employees are paid by the county, but it, it really is a state function because they represent the state of Texas in criminal cases. So for example, when there's a vacancy, if, if I decide tomorrow I'm going to resign, mm -hmm. my replacement is going to be appointed by commissioner's court. If the district attorney were to decide that she didn't want to be the DA anymore, her replacement is actually appointed by the governor. The I see. Yeah. Very interesting. But y'all are both elected. That's right. That's right. So you're both elected. It's a, it's a partisan position. That's right. Okay. And so what made you decide, you know what? I'm going to put my hat in the arena and I'm going to run for office. You know, I, did, had, I mean, did you always think that or I didn't, I didn't. So I, I had uh, two, both of my parents served in the United States uh, armed forces and they very much taught me that you need to fight and stand up for the democracy that you want, right? You don't just sit back and let things happen to you, but you get in the arena, you get in the game and you do something about it. So I always knew that public service was where I was headed. And I went to law school first, my family to go to college. My dad made clear when you're 18, you're not going to be here. So I <laughs> went to college and the law like school. That. And when I came out of law school, I had a bunch of student loans. And so I said, you know, I need to go and get a job to be able to pay for this. So I went into the private sector, started my career off at a small firm called Fulbright and Jaworski then. Um, and then I heard of that small yeah, firm. Super small neighborhood yeah. firm. Uh, and then went to Kirkland and Ellis. And I was basically learning how to be a lawyer, you know, while also making the money to be able to pay off my loans. And then in 2016, you know, the world was shocked in November when the former president won. And I said to myself, you're not doing enough. Uh, but I didn't just jump out there and say, I need to run for office. I just started getting involved civically in, in communities that I knew were facing issues and serving on nonprofit boards and things that I was passionate about. And really, in the 2018, 2019-ish span, I started saying that there was an opportunity for this office to be more impactful for people. Uh, and that's what made me decide to, to get involved and ultimately decide to run. But I'll tell you, no, I had no plans in the near future to run for office, maybe something in the distant future. But I was happy working in the private sector, using my nights and weekends to serve communities instead of as an everyday job. I think that's amazing. Let's go back to your parents. Yeah. So they were both veterans. Are they are they with us? Yep, yep. Okay, how living. wonderful. Yeah. And so they both served. Tell me about their service. Yeah, so um, my father joined in 83. My mom joined in 82. They were both United States Coast Guard. Uh, so we lived in a bunch of coastal cities mm -hmm. growing up, but Houston was primarily home. Uh, but my father did two tours um, in the Persian Gulf, uh, voluntary tours, just because he decided that that was the way no that he kidding. wanted to serve. Yeah. Um, and my mother actually was honorably discharged, left active duty when my brother was diagnosed with cancer. When we were growing up. And so, you know, we lived in a household that was a single income household because my mom spent most of her time in the hospital with my brother who was battling childhood leukemia. And 
what I learned from them was, you know, my father was up every single morning at 4.30 a.m. That's just the type of man he was. And there were times where he was stationed in Galveston. He was up 4.30, driving out to Galveston. So I learned that duty, that duty right? I learned the importance of discipline uh, from him. And from my mom, I learned the compassion and, and love for people regardless of their circumstances. And so when my brother, the last time he was diagnosed with cancer was September 11, 2001. And when he finally got a bone marrow transplant and rang the bell, uh, it marked a, a turning of an age for my family. Uh, the things that we had been through, my father's ability to continue serving despite all of that really made us a unit and made me understand that I needed to give back in life. Is your brother with us? He is. Yep. Oh my God, he's a survivor? Yep, he's, a, all he's these an years? AML leukemia survivor. I, I believe he's about to hit uh, 16 years. Wow, we need to get him on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I mean, the story's way more interesting. What a great story, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For all of you, because when someone has a, a medical issue, the whole family has it somehow. Yeah, you know for what I mean? Sure. You, you're all involved, and everyone's pulling their weight. Let's go back for something. Tell us real quick, the Coast Guard, is that like the police of the sea? I mean, what what is the Coast Guard again? Well, it's funny because I always uh, tease my dad that the Coast Guard, the way he has to explain it is like what I have to explain what the county attorney does, yeah, right? Yeah. They're like, what is the Coast Guard? Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, they effectively with the name, they guard the coast, right? And so um, what he did towards the end was he was a Marine investigator. So whenever there would be uh, a barge or a tugboat or any type of accident involving a vessel, he would go in and investigate exactly what happened so they'd get to the bottom of it and decide which company to hold accountable. That was towards the tail end, but he had held so many jobs when he was mm -hmm. in. I mean, he was a mechanic at one point. He was an engineer. But the Coast Guard, are they... I mean, I can't think of another analogy. Are they the police of the sea, or are they more like the Border Patrol on the border but protecting the coastline. Yeah, I think the latter is the way to think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. So there were times when they would go out what what they would call underway, right? And he'd be gone for maybe six months at a time. Uh, when they are, they are sometimes gone six months at a time. That's right. Yeah, These yeah, Coast Guard. Yeah. People? Yeah, that's right. That's wow. right. Yeah, there are times where they're out at deep sea for any various number of reasons. Uh, reasons, maybe you know, like an air force carrier needs to have support that's right. out there, and so they're out there for a long period of time. But that's the power and the impact of him doing those voluntary tours overseas because it's not required for folks in the coast guard, right? Um, and, but he volunteered to do something about it. Wow, he sounds like an incredible guy. He is. So tell dude. me about his Persian Gulf tour. I mean, does he talk about it? Not much, but but what was interesting about it was when he came, he came back, you know, let's say a couple of weeks early, because that was the first time my brother was diagnosed with cancer. And I was at the time in the fourth grade, and I got to the hospital. So the, the story, the short version of it is I stayed the night at my friend's house. I came back the next day, and my mom had went out to get breakfast, and, and my brother was there, and he came downstairs, and he had a big tumor on his face. And I, I didn't know what it was, but immediately panicked. You could see it? Yeah, oh, visible, right? Um, so like on top of the face or like yeah, underneath, like, yeah. like just so, the so was, cheek? Uh, yeah, underneath the skin, but his face was, you know, two to three times larger than it had ever been. So ultimately, he goes to the hospital. They do some surgery work. And I went to go see him, let's say, two weeks later. And my father had come back from his tour a little bit early, and he was at the hospital. Well, while he was overseas from eating right or whatever it may be, he lost like 70 pounds. So I didn't recognize him. Wow. Uh, and so when I came to the room, he said, hey, I'm your father. You know, it's me, your dad. And I think I busted out crying because I just hadn't seen him in so long. Wow. I didn't recognize him, right? Well, 70 pounds, and you were a younger man. I, right. can, I can imagine you saying, who is that slim guy? <laughs> That's right. Look, looking all debonair over yeah, there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Wow. Well, let me go to it. Do we have a caller there? No? Okay, excuse me. I thought we had a call. That's fine. Let's keep going. Well, let me ask you this. So, you know, again, I'm just a citizen, right? And every time I open the paper, it seems like the state attorney general is just suing the federal government, just like yeah. all the time. Like he wakes up and says, how do I sue the government today? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean... Does that seem normal? I mean, are y'all are suing the state a bunch? I mean, it just seems to me that his whole mission is, how do I sue the federal government? And the only reason is because there's someone of a different party in the federal government right? Well, running I, the federal government. Yeah, I, I think it's our state attorney general. He learned an important lesson from his predecessor, who is now the governor of Texas. And there was a time where former attorney general Greg Abbott said, you know, his job is to wake up, go to work, uh, sue Barack Obama, and go home. And what you saw was he was able to leverage that into extreme popularity within the party, and then he ultimately became the governor. So I think what you're seeing now from the attorney general is 
is an attempt to recreate that uh, to ensure his own popularity. Because, you know, like it or not, if people agree with someone's policies, they tend to look to the lawyers as just the, the catch-all. Oh, you guys can fix anything, right? Go file a lawsuit. Yep. And so that, I, I do think it's intentional for the purpose of leveraging that popularity. Well, for, for me, it seems more like he's trying to uh, survive all his – I mean, I don't know. Every time I read the paper, he's in trouble about something or he was indicted and it's just hanging out there. Yeah. It just seems like he's you know he's just trying to survive, I guess. Like uh, the old – remember Muhammad Ali or you're too young for Muhammad Ali, probably the great boxer? Yeah. He had what's called the rope-a-dope yeah. where he would sit on there on the edge of the ropes and cover himself and people – if Eric Carr is out there, call me, Eric, because I know you know what I'm talking about. Mm. And the other – Puncher, the other fighter would punch themselves out, and Muhammad Ali would absorb all these blows. And then at the end, bam! And deliver the punch. Deliver yeah. the punch. I know we have a call there. Is there a Miss Edna Griggs on the line? Yes, it is. How are you? Miss Edna, you have me, Gilbert Garcia, Talk Inspiration and Prayer, and Mr. Christian Minifee. What do you have for us today? And you know what? It's well, always a pleasure to hear from you. Well, thank you. I'm glad that here I got a chance to actually meet uh, Mr. Menifee at my senior uh, brunch uh, about two weeks ago. So thank you so much for showing up to that event. Uh, and, but what I got a question, and I found that you were on here because I didn't know who actually your speaker was on here for today. But I have a, a we have a problem in Acres Homes with uh, these stores uh, staying open after the night. And I was told that that's something that we can actually discuss with you, uh, Mr. Menifee. Is that correct? Now, to say one more time, the stores are staying open what, Miss Edna? They're staying open half of the night, and we think they're doing a lot of things that they probably uh, do. So they're, they're essentially becoming like after-hour stores mm -hmm. doing after-hour late things they shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, well, first of all, it was great to see you a couple of weeks ago at your event, Ms. Griggs, and, and thank you very much for calling in. One of the things I really tried to push about the county attorney's office is I want us to become a, a one-stop shop, help you fix any problem that you have, and, and if we can't fix it, then to help you navigate uh, local government, which at times can be crazy with red tape. Uh, so the answer is, if they're doing something illegal there, right, if they're in violation of some city ordinance, then we can work with the city attorney's office to, to help get some relief there. Um, if they're not, then we'll still take a look at it and we'll work with you. But I absolutely want you to, to, to reach out to us. I don't think since I've been in office there's ever been a time where I said, no, don't call us. No, call us. Call is, us. is it a city jurisdiction, city attorney jurisdiction, or is it your jurisdiction? So if it's in the city of Houston proper, um, there's two things that could be going on. One, if it's if it's like a storefront that has a lot of crime and they're doing things that are either attracting the crime or are like intentionally avoiding fixing the issues surrounding the crime, um, then it could be city or us. If they're operating in violation of some ordinance, then it's a city thing, if they're in the city limits, because mm -hmm. the county doesn't have ordinance making authority. I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so can you we have, you know, I don't think we've actually had you out uh, to, to speak. Have you been to the the purpose in it to actually speak to I, I haven't but I'm happy to come well I need to set that up because that's what we need we need to they need to know who you are because a lot of no you know even know who you are so let me work on that and uh, see if we can get that together because I you know we're very involved out here but I think sometimes people just don't know who to go to mm -hmm. so I I'll reach out to you because I'm actually a commissioner too on the, a lot of the condemnation cases. So I get to have, I get to be on a lot of your your cases. So yeah. thank you so much. Uh, I think Miss Edna's right. You know, people. Even you know, I'd like to think I'm an educated man, and everything. But you know, even I don't know like if where do I go for this or yeah. what does this uh, position do? I think that's right. And the more people see you because you're very uh, engaging, you're very inviting, you're not intimidating. You're just like a great guy, and I think mm -hmm. people will be much more willing to come forward about things after they hear you and see you and meet you. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, I, and I think yeah. one, one of the issues is really the way that county government is structured. You know, the city has has a CEO, executive director, a lead manager, and that's the mayor, right? Um, it's not that way at, at, at the county. Our administrative head is a five-person body called Commissioner's Court, right? But they all kind of have their own fiefdoms. They all have their own way of doing anything. And so really what that's led to, and one of the good things I think about putting a county administrator in place is that nobody's really ultimately holding the bag for anything. And so one of the, the ways that we've tried to be helpful since I've taken office is I want to be the office that's involved in everything so that we can help direct people through this very convoluted process, right? Well, maybe you're kind of like that role. You're the traffic I cop. It. I love it. I and, love I, and I'm okay with it. Because you know? we trust you. Yeah. You know, the, it's, uh, it's all about the people trusting someone. And if the people trust you, it'll all work out. Yeah. And, and that's why I voted for him. Yeah. Because we trust him. We want him to continue. And But the thing is, is like I'm saying, 
the community needs to see you. So I will be, and I just surprised. I feel bad that you have not been out there, have not been out there, and that's a shame. But I'll take care of that. We'll get that set up and get that done. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Quit. All right, Nani. Miss Daniel, thank good. you so much for calling. You're always a, a real blessing to the community. Amen thank you. to you. Great day. Yes, mm, ma'am. Uh, hold on there, Christian. Do, do people say Mr. County Attorney? Uh, I prefer Christian. But do people say Mr. County Attorney? Sometimes, yeah. Okay, I just want to. I want to make sure. You know, is that the Mr. County Attorney? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I get that. Um, sometimes I get County Attorney Minifee. I, I very much prefer Christian. County Attorney Minifee is like I don't know too many words somehow. Yeah, that's, you know, it's way too much. But, man. But, it's a but Christian's yeah. really good because that cause yeah. rolls off the tongue. Hey, Christian, um, let's go real quick. We have another caller. Is there a Robin on the phone? Yes, it's me. Robin, you got me, Gilbert Garcia, a tip from Gilbert Talk, Inspiration and Prayer. And my special guests are County Attorney Christian, just Christian. Yeah, well, no, just Christian, Christian. Minifee, but I'll just say Christian among friends. Come on, Robin, what you well, got? So I am a huge fan of Christian Menifee. He knows that this is Robin Fulford, and I am the Democratic nominee running in the Congressional District 2. Uh, so I am the Democrat that's taking on uh, Republican extremist Dan Crenshaw. Robert, how's the race? Tell us about the race. And by the way, I want to make sure we get it out there. W where's yep. your website and when people want to learn more about comparison sure. and so forth? Wh what do they do? Absolutely. So you can go to Fulford for Congress. It's F as in Frank, U-L, F as in Frank, O-R-D, uh, for Congress.com. And uh, that kind of covers the basics uh, about me. But um, this race is obviously it's a tough race. Uh, the district was gerrymandered like most of Texas, but also like most of Texas, uh, we do have the voters. It's about connecting with them and turning them out and giving people a reason to vote for me. And so that's what I that's what I'm working to do. Well, how's it going there on the trail? <laughs> well, um, it has been pretty amazing. Last week, I um, I ended up speaking to a few uh, people who had previously backed my opponent, who mm. are now backing me. Um, I that's a good sign, yeah, Robin. That's, that's a good sign. I think. We'll take that. Yes, I was. Um, I've been really happy with that. I connected with a retired naval officer who um, is really upset with our current representative. Uh, and so I've been hearing a lot of that. I knew that it was, I knew that uh, voters' needs were not being served and that's why I stepped up. I know my voters. I've been working within this district for years. Christian knows that. Yep. Um, and so my job right now is to make sure that the voters in this district have representation and that is what I'm working to do. Well, let me go back to Christian then. And stay with me, Rob, another minute. So, uh -huh. Christian, Absolutely. what advice do you have for her, given that you were a first-time candidate, yeah. right? Yeah. No, yeah. no, Christian, you were a first-time candidate, yeah. Yeah. and you you know, sort of took on the status quo, and here you are, you were successful, and you're doing all these wonderful things. What advice do you have for Robin? Hey, Robin. Hey. Hey, good to hear from you. Um, you know, so... One thing that Robin has been doing, which you know candidates are trained to do, is to say our current representative and not say his name. I think that there are, are a few exceptions to the rule, and when you're running against Dan Crenshaw, um, who I think in, within the Republican Party has been one of the most reprehensible representations of where that party has gone, it's important to say that she's she's about to beat Dan Crenshaw. Um, what I saw in my race, Gilbert, was very much, and Robin, this goes for you too, that when you connect with people on an individual basis, people in the community, they don't think about elections the way that we think about it, right? We go in, when you're the candidate, you go in thinking, it's me versus the other person. I need people to say that they're not going to vote for the other person, they're going to vote for me. Most people are struggling to make ends meet. They have all types of issues that they're, that they're struggling with. They have no clue who the vast majority of folks on their ballot are. I, there's going to be a large percentage of folks who are going to walk into that ballot box and they're not going to know who Dan Crenshaw is. But instead, if yep. you're able to individually touch them and impact them and, and speak to the issues that they care about and really think about how you're going to help solve their problems, the person you're running against can be the most popular person in the country. It won't matter because there's a large number of people who are not going to know it and they're here for that individual connection. So my advice, Robin, yeah. is continue doing what you've been doing, which is consider this a labor of love 
love and an act of service and to try to individually connect with as many people as possible. Uh, and it won't matter, you know, who you're running against. At the end of the day, people yeah. will show up for someone that they believe in and someone they believe will speak to their issues. Amen. Robin, I'm going to give you 30 seconds here. Tell us the reason for Houston to vote for you for Congress. Okay, well, I am a mother. I previously worked in elder care. So every policy issue that I look at, I consider the entire life of a, of a person. And as Christian pointed out, I see a real problem in that Americans are in a struggle. We are in a day-to-day -day struggle. And when you are in that struggle, you can't plan for the future. So when we talk about retirement, when we talk about even climate change, it feels so abstract because you're you're trying to just survive week to week, month to month. And so I, it is my job to get out there and um, address these issues, uh, issues around opportunity, education, um, inflation. Uh, these are all issues that I am committed to tackling with the knowledge that, yes, there's these other big issues that, of course, touch the lives of everybody and shape our opportunity, um, but we need to deal with these kitchen table issues first. Um, and so, go ahead. Amen. No, no, no. That's Robin, thank you so much. Thank you for joining our call, and we wish you nothing yes. but the best of luck, and go make it happen. Yep. Vote for thank Robin. You. Thank you all that you do thank you guys you're welcome robin i know we have other callers there so christian i'm going to keep us rolling here as Let's they say rolling 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 who do we got there miriam is there a miriam miriam you got me gilbert talk inspiration and prayer miriam hi good morning is this How miriam yes it is talk to good me morning. miriam what you got for me gilbert hey. garcia or mr christian minifee our county attorney Hi, well, hi Gilbert. Thank you for, for answering my call. I'm excited to talk to you and to your audience to let people know about our event coming this Sunday. What is it? Uh, we celebrate the Colombian Festival. This is our 20th edition. Yay! Yeah, my studio audience likes that. Keep going, keep going. Thank you. Yes, uh, it's this 17th, Sunday, July 17th. We do participate in the downtown Houston uh, at the Sam Houston Park. Uh, the tickets are for sale, and we're ready to give some away today. Wonderful. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. First of all, uh, the, the, it's there at the park, and how many people are we expecting? We are we are being very humble and expecting about 20,000 people oh in and goodness. out to enjoy the culture, the food, the music, the people. It is a, it has turned into a very international uh, festival, so we get people from all over our, our Latin culture. So it's very very exciting. That is tremendous, and I understand you're going to have a lot of these like famous artists from Colombia and everything. Yes, oh my God! Yes, you know, so. of course, everyone wants to see and hear Shakira. Yes. Well, we don't have Shakira. Uh, she's she's a little too busy. For we us, understand. We yes. understand. But no, tell me this. So when you look at the Colombian population, population here in Houston. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's the number three or number four largest population in Houston. Um, is. is that correct of immigrant groups? That is, sir. That is, we have, uh, we have various cities in our, in our, you know, in Texas in general, that that's just very rich in culture. Uh, Colombians have adapted to Texas. We, we love Houston. Um, one of our, again, we, we take pride in, in what we do as Colombians. And, and one of the thing is, uh, we, we like to celebrate that. But again, it's not only Colombians. We have El Gran Combo de Puerto Rico celebrating their 16th anniversary. Mm. Uh, that's from Puerto Rico. They're known as the pioneers of salsa. So if you're ready to dance, you know, we will have that as well. Uh, we have, we will be featuring uh, Bobby Valentin, again, another salsa major, uh, Los Corraleros. So it's a very large variety of culture, not just Colombian, but if you like, if you don't like to dance, we do have good music and, and good food. Tell uh, me about the food. What, 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 what kind uh, of food are you going to have there? That's what people you, want to know. Yep. Okay. Empanadas. Oh, I love empanadas. Yes, arepas. We will have everything all over the place. Oh, my goodness. Tell me and, this. Yeah. You, you know, you go ahead and finish. I didn't mean to cut you off. 
Yeah, and, and one of the things is it's not just like Texas where we have barbecue and where we have our huge burgers. You know, Colombians is the same. Colombia has its regions, and we will have a taste of every little region from Colombia. Well, and of course, a tip from Gilbert will be there, so hopefully we'll be interviewing people yes. on, and I'm going to be recording that to be played the following week. But we'll be there. It's yes. going to be lots of action. And again, it's from, remind us, is it uh, 12 to 10? It's from 12 to 10 p.m. all day. We are high, uh, high in security, high in hydration, high in shade. Uh, we have a beautiful venue, which is, again, it's the Sam Houston Park. Uh, we, we, everything's so organized so people could just come over and have a great time. And I hope, you know, we'll, we will have you there. We're very excited about all the, to hear all the plants you have in store for our city. So it's, it's a whole, but it's a lot of celebration for all of us. Wonderful. Well, we will be there. And I think it's, it's great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give Christian some VIP tickets. Yeah. Nice. So, is is nice. that okay? I'm gonna give Christian yes, two VIP I love tickets. It. If you have any VIP it's... empanadas, ah, I, I welcome those that, as well. That's what he wants, the VIP empanadas. Okay. Well, thank I you. Suggest, yes, yeah, I suggest, yes, I suggest we fast the day before because the day of we're going to be eating a lot of good stuff. Uh -oh. so Wonderful. Well, thank you very, very much for calling in. And, and be please call in again, and I'll see you Sunday. Sunday. Thank you, Gilbert. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good one. Thank Bye -bye. you. Thank you. Thank you. Christian, if you would allow me, I know we have another caller yeah. real quick. Who's our next caller there? We have another caller. I want to get them all in. That's what this show is for. Call in, call in, call in. Talk to my guests. Talk to Houston. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what's going on in the community. Was there another one or no? Well, we're going to keep going. So, Christian, let's come back. So when you first came in, how many, like, lawyers do you have in your department? Is that is that a correct phrase, department? Yeah, that's, okay. that's absolutely right. So we have about 120-ish lawyers. The office is about 250 people. Wow, that sounds like so big, doesn't it? Oh, it's huge. It, yeah, I mean, compared that's, that's to like other county attorneys' offices, yeah, that, that's exactly the way I— It's I, a law firm. Yeah, it's how I explain it to folks who are still, you know, in private practices. I'm basically managing partner of a pretty a, a large law firm. law firm, yeah. Well, are you— doing any of the legal work yourself or are you really managing the lawyers i mean it seems to me when you got that many people you're doing a lot of managing yeah well it's interesting because i think that changes per the administration but for me you know i'm still very young i came in after being out in private practice and gilbert i love the thrill of practicing law and so uh, i try to retain a certain amount of the practice right whenever there's a high profile case high profile hearing i'll typically handle it myself no kidding uh, yeah yeah so so, for example, when we sued Governor Abbott over his prohibitions on allowing local officials to install mask mandates when kids were going back to school and the Delta variant was going crazy, we sued the governor. I did the hearing against the no attorney general's kidding. office. Right. Um, the bail bond board recently did a 10% minimum rule that's in place for all bail mm -hmm. bondsmen here in Harris County. I did the initial couple of hearings for that. Uh, so I... It's really, you know, I, I would imagine practicing law is like riding a bike. Once you learn it, you kind of keep those skills. But I also think there's something to be said about staying on your toes and be able to stay sharp in that. And so I try to every few months, I go and handle a hearing or write a brief so I keep those skills. But you're right. You have an office of 250 people. You have an executive function. You have a managerial I mean, function. Managing people is harder than managing money. I oh, know, my I gosh. I manage money, and I know managing people is hard because it is. it's emotions. It's people. They got different things. Well, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm sure everybody wants to ask you, but nobody will. So when you're there doing one of your cases, do you, like, does your Perry Mason turn on, like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury? You know, I mean, I mean, are you in front of juries? So the I mean, cases that we have typically, we're not getting to juries, but these are hearings in front of a judge, and and the answer is yes, absolutely. I mean, so you're, uh, your honor? Yeah, hundred percent. Oh my goodness, yeah. I'd love to see you in action. Uh, it, it's, I mean, that's that's incredible. You know, I, I tell my team all the time, like I I am really enjoying public service, but when I pass and go on, I would love to be known as a good lawyer, right? That that is always kind of been my passion um, there's a thrill that I get out of practicing law that you know there's few other things in life that that really kind of fill that void and so I try to hold on to as much of it as that I can. That is fantastic I want to talk more about your team in a second we have another caller here is there a Mr. Henry? Good morning yes this is Henry. Henry 
You got me, Gilbert, a tip from Gilbert. That stands for Talk, Inspiration, and Prayer. And just as a reminder, we're here every Monday from 11 to 12, and it's on KWWJ, KCOH, The Source, and then, of course, KYOK, the legendary KYOK. And you could call in, listeners, on 832-570-8075. What you got for us, Henry? Well, first of all, Mr. Garcia, I'd like to thank you for accepting my call. And, you know, I'm a big fan. I saw, I saw your article last week on the Houston Chronicle uh, speaking on the Fed and uh, inflation. Also, uh, you know, I saw you on CNBC. So, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of, what, of everything you do. And, uh, but this question I have is for Mr. Minifee. Uh, Mr. Minifee has accomplished so much. You know, he's the first African-American to be uh, the county attorney and the youngest in history. My wow. Is, wow. That's unbelievable. Keep going, Henry. Keep going. You're on a roll, my friend. My, que my question is, being a young African-American, um, aspiring to become a lawyer, what kind of advice would you give me, Mr. Minister? You are an enormous inspiration to me. Henry, first of all, thank you for your all your compliments to me, to the show, and to my guests. That, that, that's, I really mean it. That touches my heart, touches my spirit, and I'm sure it does for Christian, too, because that's a cool thing, a cool feeling. Yeah, no, Henry, thank you very much for calling in, and I really appreciate the compliments, man. You know, it, it's so interesting because I'm only 34, and so when you hear someone say, oh, you're an inspiration to me, it, 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 it's difficult for all that to really kind of set in, right, at this age. But what I'll say, Henry, is something I had to learn. You know, when I first uh, went to law school, I went to UTSA, and then I went to WashU for law school, and WashU at the time was, you know, very highly ranked, and still is, uh, law school. And so a lot of people in my class went to Columbia undergrad, went to Yale undergrad, Harvard, the whole nine, Princeton. And when I got there, I found myself battling imposter syndrome, right? You know, I'm just a kid who went to a small school here in Texas. Like I said, first in my family to go to college. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't know if I was going to be able to compete. And, and then I, I was able to get great grades and go on and, and, you know, go into private practice and have a great career. And what I learned, Henry, from the moment that I got to law school, from the moment I got to Fulbright, the moment I got to Kirkland, the moment that I've got to this office, is if you're smart and you work hard, the sky's the limit. There, there's, there's no room that you are unqualified to be in. Um, I have, you know, worked with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies when I was in private practice, getting them ready for trial. Um, we have written briefs on issues that were, you know, $200 million cases. There wasn't a single time in my career where when I thought that I couldn't handle it, I was correct. Every single time I was wrong. Um, and so I would say, don't ever be intimidated. That feeling of imposter syndrome, that feeling of, well, maybe I'm not gonna be able to get in this school, maybe I won't be able to compete at this level, it's just wrong. Uh, there's no level at which you cannot compete. You're skilled and talented uh, enough to compete at any level. And frankly, even if there are rooms where you cannot compete, you should walk in thinking you can anyway. Because at the end of the day, that worry, that anxiety is not going to, it's not going to help you get to where you're trying to go. So, uh, you know, work hard, be determined. I get up every single morning at, you know, sometime between 4 and 5 a.m. It's, it's just kind of my personality after my father did that. But if you work hard, you outwork folks, and you do what you need to do, uh, the sky's the limit. So, you know, work hard, pump your chest out, and don't be afraid to be confident in the work that you're able to do. And, Henry, I would say, too, yeah, give him a round of applause. Thank you, studio audience. I would say, Henry, that keep in mind one thing, and I've been in the room when it happens, as they say, and Christian's certainly there now, when I was chairman of Metro. Sometimes the smartest guys in the room just really aren't that smart. So don't you worry. You can compete. You have a good head on your shoulders. And that's sometimes what it takes, just a good head on your shoulders. And I know when I hire, and I've hired for many things in my firm, and I hire at Metro and this and that, I always want people with a good attitude. You know, people want to be around winners. They just want to be around upbeat uh, positive people. So that's the energy you want to have. Henry, I thank you for the call. You have any a, a last comment there, Henry? Yes. Well, you know, thank you, uh, Mr. Garcia and uh, Mr. Minifee. You know, those are great words of encouragement that I'll take into account, uh, you know, in my life. And Mr. Garcia, last thing, uh, when are you going to mail me those tickets to the Columbian Fest? Ah! <laughs> I tell you what, 
uh, call me right after the show, and I'm mailing them to you. You just got to hope that the empanadas don't go bad in the I, mail, I mean, man. Yeah, don't worry. Oh, I, yeah, and here, I'll give you my cell phone. And people say, you gave your cell phone? You know, when I was Metro chairman, I would say it out loud in the community. The whole city of Houston has my cell phone. And, I, you know, funny things, I was on CNBC the other day, and, and they had me on. And, and uh, I said, yeah, because they, they called me the Bond King of Texas. And someone yeah. said, well, the Bond King of Texas. I said, well, put it this way. When I get home, my wife says, hey, Bond King, don't forget to take out the trash. Right, right, right. At 4030 Durness Way. <laughs> And my wife, when I got home, said, "You gave our whole address to, the, you know, the national TV." I said, "Well, I guess, I guess I did." So Henry, my cell is seven one three four four three. 4330 because I want to get you those tickets, and we'll figure out how I can get them to you so you don't miss it. Okay. Okay, sounds good. I'm looking forward to those empanadas and arepas. Henry, you're a good man. Thank you for calling in. Do we have another caller waiting or no? Oh, we do. I um well. Go ahead, put them through, put them through. I want to get back to your team so you can yeah, sure. think about it. And this person is Melissa Blanco. Melissa, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? I'm well. You have me, Gilbert Garcia. A tip from Gilbert, talk, inspiration, and prayer with our county attorney, Mr. Christian Minifee. Speak to me. Gilbert, thank you for having us here with the Colombian Fest. We're so excited to talk about this amazing event that is taking place this Sunday, July 17th, where we want to welcome everyone, everyone from every single country to come and join the best from salsa, vallenato, merengue, all our uh, all our music, also the gastronomy from Colombia, so people are going to have the chance to eat delicious dishes like ajiaco, bandeja paisa, so many food that mm. I'm sure people is going to love it. How wonderful. Well, thank you so much. How long has this festival been going on? Tell us a little bit about that. And, so who, and who started it? Who started it? Yes, this is our 20th anniversary. Oh, so wow. It's going to be a special year this time. And everything started with the Familia Herrera. Jorge Herrera is uh, the main person who decided to bring our culture to Houston. Uh, it's a day close to our independence, Colombians' independence since July 20th. So this weekend before our independence is the perfect day for Colombians to celebrate such an important date. And he has been keeping this tradition alive for 20 years. He's now working with his daughters as well. So it's a, an amazing group of people behind the scenes to bring this together for everyone. Well, I had the pleasure to meet Mr. Herrera, and boy, what a gem he is. I mean, he is a real community icon. I got to have him on the show. He just knows a lot. He works a lot. He's got the big idea, the big picture, and what an advocate for not only Colombians, but for all Latinos and all Houstonians. What a great man. I'm going to give you the last word. Anything else you want to say? Yes, I just want to invite everyone, make sure that everyone is ready for this festival. I want also to, to let people know that, yes, it's going to be hot. We are in the middle of summer, but you can bring your um, your shirts. You can. There's going to be plenty of space to, you know, like pull up our beach seats and also to bring your umbrella. Nothing that has to be stuck on the grass. But just, you know, like a regular umbrella that you, were, that, that you will use uh, on a rainy day. So just, just trying to, to get everyone together for the celebration is going to be around 25,000 people uh, meeting at, at the Colombian Fest. Do doors are going to be open at 10 a.m. And we're going to go all the way to, until 10 p.m. Wonderful. Well, I'll be there. And I've got uh, Henry that's getting a few tickets. And I got Mr. Menifee's getting a few tickets. And we got a few more. So thank you for calling in. Thank you, Gilbert, for giving us this time. You're welcome. So, Christian, let's go back. So you have 170 lawyers, and there's about another 100-odd, 120-ish of employees. The other way around, about 120 lawyers. I'm sorry. Yeah, and okay. then about 130 staff. So uh, do you know everybody yet? I mean, look, I mean, I, that's not a loaded question, by the way. I know it's hard to know yeah. everybody, and everybody wants to get a piece of you. You know, everybody, the new boss, the, the rising star, and you are. And everyone wants to get a, a hold of that. Have you had a chance to meet with people? Are you having like a company town hall or something? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. I took office in the middle of COVID, right? And so that, oh, that yeah, interesting. yeah, really made it difficult for us to kind of be able to spread spread all mm-hmm. throughout the office. So what I did was a couple of things. One, I set up a series of town halls. After doing an initial one office wide, I set up a series of town halls with the different teams within the office, right? Uh, and so that, you know, at first they were on Zoom. And so that was a great opportunity to really have an intimate setting, have a conversation with these folks. Um, and then, of course, we did like a holiday event where I got everybody to come in. And since then, I've done like targeted because my goal is look if I get in front of everybody at once they'll see me they'll hear from me but I prefer to do the smaller settings and so I'll right. do you know we'll have a competition in the office and then oh you get an opportunity to have lunch with Christian right and so oh, it, what a great thing like what a great thing of them. right so, so I would I have probably met in person 90% of the folks in the office and I've probably been able to engage deeply with like 40 some odd percent of the office. I salute you because you've been in office how long not very long at all I got, my first day was January 1 2021 so uh, so a, we're, a, a we're, year and a half yeah we just crossed and has it been um, I don't know the right phrase you know the old phrase are you been drinking from a fire hose I mean are you got like all kinds of things going on or are you able to really methodically plan out where do I want to take this office you know in my tenure I think we were drinking from a fire hose the first three or four months um, but then we got it together you know we brought on some some great people uh, my my one of my two number twos was chief of staff for a former mayor uh, the other one was a partner at Kirkland and Ellis who came with me um, I have like an inner circle of folks who work in the office many of whom I brought from the from various firms in the private sector and so we just we and then on top of all that Gilbert I didn't come in and like fire you know a bunch of people right yeah we we had like a few targeted folks that we had to move on from but for the most part everybody else stayed how and, great and what I did was I said look we're we're gonna remove all managerial titles and we're gonna allow the entire office anybody can apply for any managerial position well we ended up having most folks we kept in their managerial roles there was a few uh, a few spots where we moved in a different direction but I think that that earned goodwill with folks you know I came in thinking look I want to give every single one of you the opportunity to work with me and to get on board with the vision that I have for the office and I know that you're talented you're skilled and I know that you'll be able to do it if you want to do it if you don't no harm no foul we can move in different directions and what I saw was, you know, the morale of the office generally has boosted uh, because I think we've shown more of an inward investment in the folks who are in the office. Um, and I think the other part of it is I don't, you know, stir up stuff politically and then send them out to go deal with right. repercussions, right? If we sue Governor Abbott over the mask mandate, I'm going to be handling the hearing. If we sue Attorney General Paxton over the voter suppression law, one of my lieutenants is going to go in and handle the hearing. And so we, you know, although some of the extracurricular stuff we've done has added to the workload, the, the top folks, we're all working. You know, I, I'm the first person, for the most part, in the office every single day, right? Um, and and I try to be one of the last people to leave as well. You know, I, I want to make sure that my senior team, that we're not just kind of here, come mm-hmm. and go political folks. No, we're really in the trenches, working, working the cases up, working on the important issues with everybody else. That is just great. Well, let me ask you this. So... Talk to us a little bit about, and if I go into territory you can't talk about, just say you can't talk about it, and we respect that. What's all the hubbub now with all the um, voting ballots and no ballots and ballots are found and there's ballots and, and, you know— you know, what part of all this stuff is myth? I mean, all I know is it seems that there was— you never heard a lot about, you know, mail-in ballot fraud and all that until Mm -hmm. recently. And it seems to me if there was going to be mail-in fraud or whatever, it'd be something that's been going on since there were mail-in ballots. You know, is this part of the whole conspiracy thing going on nationally? Talk us a little bit about all this. Yeah, so, I mean, look, this really comes from two sources. One, of course, is former President Donald Trump, right, Um, when there were obvious, uh, you know, his inclination was to try to assign blame for his loss of the election and place it in places that it really didn't belong. Uh, So that really started kind of a wide set of conspiracy folks on the right who looked at all forms of voting and said, oh, there's fraud and all this, but then really honed in on mail ballot voting fraud because, look, I think conceptually it's kind of easy to understand, right? Oh, somebody can go and just take a thousand votes and write anybody's name on them and go send it in, right? So that was one. And then two, there's like a very specific set of folks in government in the state of Texas who really honed in on that issue. I think, you know, having got the original idea from the national level politics. And so what you've seen is a heavy focus on this stuff, both here in Harris County and across the state. Uh, But, you know, there hasn't been any finding by the attorney general of widespread mail ballot voting fraud. Hasn't been any finding by the DOJ of any of that. But it's a story. It's something to talk about. And so, you know, you see see, the focus on that. That's my gut. My gut is um, things have been going along. 
And I'm sure there's, you know, some percentage that is, you know, maybe there's some, I don't want to say fraud, but generally mistakes. Someone, you know, but but my hunch is whatever that margin of error has been, it's been consistent for a long period of time. It's like no big rampant thing going on. And it just seems to be now the whole narrative, it just seems... um, out of control. You know, everyone, oh, it's just a stolen the election. But I've yet to hear any evidence, see any evidence. If someone's got any evidence, call me and tell us about it. Let's talk about it rationally. So y'all are looking at it. That's Is that part of your job to oversee the voting or no? No, no. So that's the elections administrator. But one important point that you made earlier is, look, we have an attorney general who sues the federal government all, all the time, right? Our current attorney general is very invested in kind of pushing those theories. If there was widespread mail ballot voting fraud in Texas and Harris County, the attorney general's office would have prosecuted those cases. Right. You can rest assured. Or gotten, right, a, a local or adjacent county DA to prosecute those cases. But what you saw was when the attorney general's office invested real money in setting up, you know, this task force that worked on these specific issues, the number of prosecutions was was nil, right? Uh, and the reason is because th- there wasn't anything out there. So, you know, it's one of those things where that's where the narrative is, and so y- you allow that to kind of carry. But at the end of the day, th- there's there's no widespread voting fraud in the state of Texas, not an in-person voting or mail ballot. So it's just a big headline-grabbing thing. Well, so it's not under your jurisdiction. So we're the law- we're the lawyer for all the county departments, including the elections uh, department. So. We in Harris County, for the first time ever last year, created an elections administration department. It used to be, in the state of Texas, the default rule is you got a county clerk that does elections administration, and then you have a tax assessor, collector, slash voter registrar that does the voting registration. Counties, however, can make a decision through their commissioner's court to combine the functions into an elections administration office. And so that's what was done here um, in 2020, actually. Do other counties have that? Yeah, yeah, plenty of counties have it. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, most of the large counties have it as well. So that was done here in Harris County, and our our now former elections administrator was the first elections administrator in the history of Harris County. But as with any process, when you're spending millions and millions of dollars to create something new, you know, there are going to be some hiccups. Uh, but that department is in charge of overseeing elections, and we provide the legal support for them, right? We help them interpret the election code. Uh, when issues pop up at the polls, a lot of times we'll send one of my investigators or one of our lawyers mm-hmm. to the location to assist with any interpretation of the election code or any legal issues that arise. Will, will we be able to do 24-hour or, or late-night voting? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, so one of the important things about working in the largest county in Texas is you have the legislator and the governor, lieutenant governor, they always have their eye on what's going on in Harris County. So typically, if we do some innovative thing here in Harris County that stands up in the courts, 100% legal, the legislator would then just go and change the law in the next session. So here in 2020, we had, you know, all of this voter access measures in the middle of a pandemic, drive-through voting, 24-hour voting, plenty of things. The legislator then went and passed the law to undo those things, to make them all legal. You know, it just for, again, as a citizen, it just doesn't make sense because in the greatest democracy, you would want people to express their vote, their desire. Uh, You should make it easier, not harder. What am I missing? So, look, the long version of it is the Voting Rights Act passed in the late 60s, right, had a provision in it called the preclearance provision. There were certain states that had historically discriminated against African Americans. In order for those states to change any process in voting, they had to go get pre-approval from the federal government. That provision was in, um, was legal for 50 years, and then in 2013, in a case Shelby County v. Holder, the United States Supreme Court threw that out. So there's no longer this pre-approval provision. So that opened up all these states like Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, to go and start passing these laws. What was the basis for throwing that out? It seems like such a great idea. Pre-clearance versus now you can do things and then you got to challenge it after the fact. That's right. Well, what they said when they threw it out was, look, this this formula that decides which states have historically discriminated against folks, it's stale. And so it violates the United States Constitution because you're not basically treating states based on their conduct today, but you have this stale formula. You need to go re-up the formula Congress, and then you can have this provision again. Well, of course, Congress is, you know, the Republicans in Congress would never agree mm-hmm. to, to having an updated Voting Rights Act. And so when that was thrown out, that's when you saw enhanced voter ID laws in the state of Texas. That's when you saw North Carolina uh, voting measures that were put in place that a court of appeals, one court below the United States Supreme Court, said, this is a quote, 
targeted African Americans with almost surgical precision, right? So this is uh, a very intentional thing that's happening across the country. And so the reason you're seeing it, um, I would submit, is because these folks don't want certain people to have an opportunity to vote. They well, want to make it more difficult. I guess what that really means, listeners, and I mean everybody within the sound of my voice and Christian's voice, register to vote. Yeah. Please yeah. register to vote. And don't just register. Go vote and grab your neighbor, grab your kids, grab your grandkids. This is important. Yeah. And when you go back in time, he mentioned the Voting Rights Act. That was probably in 64, 65. I think it was the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. Um, you know, people fought, were beaten up, were killed for this right that we have, that we take for granted. So we've got to vote, vote, vote. Um, I know we have our—do we have another caller there or no? Not yet? Okay. Very good. I think that's really the message here. And my view would be, God, why can't we make it easy to register? If you get your license to drive, why not register right then and there? I mean, I, that seems so rational to me. Yeah, well, you know, you would then have a lot of people in the potential voter pool that, you know, a particular party doesn't want to participate in the process. There are plenty of states that have either automatic registration, a 24-hour voting, 24-hour uh, registration, or online registration. Really? Yeah, yeah. There, there are plenty of states out there that, that you can get registered to vote, step a finger, right? Or you can go online and register. We're just not one of them. And the response is always, look, we don't need all of that extra stuff because we have two weeks worth of early voting. But that's the whole thing, right? If you limit the number of people who can participate in the process, or you make it difficult to even be able to get to the polls, you make it easier to get a ballot thrown out, then really it doesn't matter how long your early voting period is because you're only allowing a small percentage of right. the population to have a fair chance to get involved. Well, I think citizens, make your voice heard. You know, my mom always said, if you don't vote, don't complain. Yeah. And so let's do it. And I want to make sure all the Latinos that are out there, yeah. if you're listening, you got to vote. Y'all are the ones that haven't been voting. We got to vote. Guys, it's importante. Su voto is your power. We've got to do it. Um, and very quickly, you know, I'm probably I'm much older than you, obviously. You probably don't remember the show Carol Burnett. No. Okay. It was a, one of the uh, first women of comedy. She and like Lucille Ball. Yeah. These, these you know, I love Lucy. Uh, and she had a show, and at the end, she had a song that says, "I'm so glad we had this time together to have a laugh and sing a song." And just before you know it, as we get started, comes a time we have to say so long. Yeah. Can you believe our hour's over? It went. It went very quickly. Can you believe it? I really cannot. It went very quickly. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. It, and it's just that's how you know we did a lot of good today. Yeah. I think we have one more caller, and I want to give you the last word. Do you have another sure. caller or no? Yeah. Let's put it through. Let's put it through. Get ready for that. Tee up my song. Uh, go ahead, there, caller. I think they hung up. Uh, Christian, I really mean it. I want to give you the last word. You can go ahead and start our song kind of low, and then we'll raise it higher. And then uh, I just want to say, in a place I mean, you have an extraordinary future. Thank you. I mean, you got that, you know, I don't know the right word. There was an old book called The Right Stuff yeah. about the astronauts in the astronaut program. You got that right stuff, you know? Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. You that. know, you're personal. You're like a regular person, but you have such a warmth about you. I really mean it. You're going to go... I mean, I feel like I'm looking at the next Barack Obama. Oh, man. I mean, I'm telling you. Am I right, uh, studio audience? I mean, just, you really have the right stuff. And that's what it's all about. Hold on. There's an Alexa that wants to say something. Alexa, you got about 30 seconds. Hi, this is actually Alexis, but... Alexis, you got uh, about 30 seconds. You got me and Christian Menifee. What do you got? Okay, perfect. I was wanting to know what was the most uh, struggling part about becoming an attorney for Mr. Mr. Menemy. What was the most what part? Struggling part. Yeah, struggling part. part. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for calling, Alexis. You know, I... I'll say for me the most difficult part was not having a frame of reference. There are so many kids who grow up, they have parents who are board members, parents who are attorneys, parents who are doctors. You know, my parents didn't go to college. And so I, I didn't know a lawyer until I was very late in my college experience. So that's one of the reasons I've started this program now for high school students from, from you know, the underserved communities here in Harris County to expose them to lawyers just so they have that frame of reference. You know, to have somebody who looks like them to say, I practice corporate law, you can do it too, you're good enough, you're smart enough. 
I didn't have that, but thankfully, you know, the Lord was with me and it all worked out. Um, but, you know, if you have an interest in particular in potentially becoming a lawyer, Alexis, seek somebody out, get in a room with them and just pick their brain, because I think you'll find that that experience will be empowering to you. Alexis, thank you for calling in. Christian, I want to go back to my last words, which is I really mean it to be the youngest first African-American. I bet your parents are just like incredibly, incredibly just proud, crazy proud, right? Uh, the, I mean, come de on. Definitely. They, I would say they're probably more proud when I get in the grandbaby, but they're, ah. they're also proud. They're also proud about this as well. That is wonderful. Well, here we go. Your last word, Christian. What do you got for Houston? Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it, Gilbert. And to the folks out here in Houston, um, I just want to encourage you across Harris County, exercise your right to vote. Um, Politics are becoming increasingly more polarizing, and you know I'm obviously with a certain party, but regardless of what party of the people you are, uh, the people that you support are. Support people who show to be humble, who show servant leadership, and who show true concern uh, for your communities. Um, I would like for the world to be that all those people were Democrats, but maybe some of them aren't. Instead, look at the character of the people that you're supporting, and I think that you'll find that you know a humble person is a humble person. Somebody with a servant heart is somebody with a servant heart, and these are the types of people we should be putting in office, not people who are power hungry, not people who are looking to divide for the sake of division, uh, but people who are looking to serve and to uplift and to make this country uh, follow through on its promise, not just for the 1%, not just for the 10%, but for every single person who lives here. And let's not, you know, keep voting for the same old, same old in 50 years and 40 years, same old. Let's get new energy like Christian, people that are ready to do something, commit their time and energy and make it happen with new ideas because that's what it's about. So. KCOH, The Source, KWWJ, KYOK, we thank you. And as they say, we'll see you next time. Are we off the radio there, Mr. Producer? All right, Facebook. I hope I can keep saying Facebook. I don't know if I can or can't. Uh, but if I'm not supposed to, I'm sorry about that, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg. But here we are. Uh, uh, we are with Tip from Gilbert, Talk, Inspiration, and Prayer. We just had a wonderful episode with Mr. Christian Menifee, who is a rising star, period. Forget about party, right? I mean, party's important because some of us are partisan. I am. But it's not about that. It's He's just a rising star, rising public servant who happens to be the county attorney, which is essentially the county's law firm for Harris County, which is probably the number, I don't know, two or three biggest counties in America. Right? Third largest county. It's got to be something If we like were that. a state, we'd be the 25th most populous state. Can you imagine that? It's crazy. It's, it's totally crazy. So, Christian, one more time. You're now on Facebook. You're on Spotify. You're on everything else. I can't even repeat them all. There's just so many. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you'll come back. I hope you will continue to run your department of roughly 200-odd people with the continued grace and open arms and all the respect. I can feel it on what you give to your team. And if there's anything that you want to have your legacy be, what, and let's hope you're there 10, 20 years, and when you're not there, you're county judge or something, you know, or member of Congress. Let's, let's hope your future is that. But when you leave this office, what do you want people to say? I want people to say that the county attorney's office worked for them, right? That this was an office that uh, put the needs of people before the needs of, of politics or anything else. And, you know, ultimately, I want folks to feel kind of the servant's heart from us, right? Um, you know, obviously, I'm a politician. I have to run for office, which means at times I have to promote myself. I have to ask for money. got to ask for votes. Uh, but for me, the things that we do to move the needle for the folks who were like my parents when I was coming up, uh, that's what's most important to me, um, being out in the community, finding great solutions to people's problems. I mean, just this week we announced a lawsuit um, against a company because of the Fifth Ward Cancer Cluster, right? And I've walked those streets many a times. And my grandmother raised her kids out in Fifth Ward. And so I, I've seen the impact of the various contamination that's gone on out there. And so those opportunities right there, Gilbert, to, to move the needle for people, that's what matters most to me. So I hope that when this is all said and done with me in the county attorney's office, that people in the office felt valued, felt invigorated, 
invigorated and felt that the number one goal that we have is to serve other people. And, you know, I wake up every day um, happy that I've been given this opportunity, blessed, but more so trying to see how I can move the needle for somebody. Amen. I'm going to I'm gonna not correct you, but I'm going to say something, and it's going to sound like a correction, but hopefully it's more of a supporting comment, which is yeah. I don't feel you're a politician. I mean, because I don't know, when you hear that word, you think of, you know what you are? You're a public servant. You're a great public servant that, of course, has to ask for your job with the voters yeah. every uh, four years. Right. Uh, I really mean it. You're just a, a premier public service. Uh, so last word. This is it. Yeah. Um, make sure you exercise your right to vote. And, and when you go vote... Go vote for people who you know have the community's best interests at heart and make sure that the people that you're supporting uh, are, are true servants uh, of the public and that their heart is in the right place. Because I'll tell you, I've met a lot of people in politics, um, and I've met people whose heart is in it for the right reasons, folks maybe not so much, uh, but you can feel that energy on them a mile away. And at the end of the day, we work for you all, right? Um, this isn't uh, a game where people are able to come in and gain popularity, find themselves on TV. No, the ultimate purpose of all this is to serve communities. That's what public service is, and that's what it should continue to be, and only the people who exude those qualities should get your vote. And, and you heard the most important line there. He said, we work for all of you. Hold your elected officials accountable. Hold them accountable. I'll say it again. Hold them accountable. Vote. You got to do it. This is Gilbert Garcia. Talk, inspiration, and prayer. I hope you come again. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Christian Menifee, a real man of the people. And we'll see you next time. This is Gilbert Andrew Garcia. Listen to my radio show, A Tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer every Monday from 11 a.m. till noon on Houston's Gospel Leader, KWWJ, 1360 a.m. and streaming live on kwwj.org. Listen on the legendary KYOK, 1140 a.m. and streaming live on kyokradio.org and KCOH, 1230 a.m. The Source. Call in at 832-570-8075 and follow me on social media. See you then.